Um, for those of you who are here for the first time, this is your first time uh, coming together with us. This is something we do every weekday morning. We have what's called the read and rant, where we spend about 20 to 30 minutes reading through scripture. And then we spend another 20 to 30 minutes and sometimes more uh, engaging in just a time of reflection of God's word uh, to hear what God is really is saying. That, that's really at the, at the core of what we what we want to do. We want to hear from God. We want to hear what God is speaking into our hearts, speaking into our souls um, in the moment that we're reading that particular scripture. Um, the priority for those of you who are here, you guys already know what I'm about. My priority is to see those of you commit to spending time in the reading of the word that every believer can say, oh yeah, I've read through the whole Bible. Even if you're not a believer, I think it's just important that you actually read it for yourself uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, one of the reasons is because people will tell you, well, the Bible says this and the Bible says that and this and this and that. And if, when you've read through the entire thing, you could say, uh, I don't remember reading that. I don't remember that being there. Where does it say that? Um, that's what's one of the things that I believe is, is critical and important. But another thing I think that, 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 that reading the, the, the entire scripture does is it gives you the big picture. Um, and, and that's the thing I think a lot of people miss out on. They stay, the, they read the Bible in, the, in this piecemeal type of way. And so they miss the grand story. They miss the grand narrative. And so I believe that it's just, it's a powerful, incredible endeavor for you to spend time in the reading of the word. So we do that every weekday. We've gone now through the entire New Testament. So there are those of you who've been journeying with me from the beginning about three months ago. Uh, you've read through the entire New Testament, and now we're reading through the entire Old Testament. Uh, we, we we read through Genesis, we read through Exodus, and now we are in Leviticus chapter eight. So we're we're treading along uh, just fine, and that's through twenty to thirty minutes of reading every weekday, half a Netflix episode every weekday, guys. Um, and notice what I've asked you to do is just commit to the reading, even if you don't understand everything you're reading. There's one thing that I believe you can do as you're growing in the grace of God in the reading of the scripture. It's to ask these three questions. What is God revealing concerning himself? What is God revealing concerning people? What is God revealing concerning me? And when you posture your heart that way, the Lord speaks into your heart. And so it's not just about gaining information and understanding all the minutia of the text, but to actually just hear from God and just hear what God is saying. Um, it is empowering. I believe that we as pastors and leaders, our job is not to just care for you, but our job is to empower you so that you're not dependent on us, but that you have the power, you have the anointing, you have the ability to be able to shepherd and to make disciples and to lead and to grow in the grace of God, that you're not dependent on um, a leader for that, um, but that you are equipped to be able to do it for yourself. And that's really what I'm here to do. I want to empower you to, to walk this walk, um, to be self-sufficient, um, not necessarily independent, but self-sufficient. Um, you know, we're called still to be, uh, you know, relational interdependent, but, but it's a calling for self-sufficiency. And so, um, so yeah, that's what we're doing here. And if you are, you know, interested and maybe it's your first time here, um, maybe, you know, you're like, Hey, i missed all these other reading rants. I want to catch these reading rants. Um, you can catch them on our Facebook group. It's called the font everywhere, the font everywhere. And you can catch it there. Um, with that being said, I want to get right into it. Cause we don't have a lot of time today. Um, today's going to be a little shorter than usual. Uh, today's going to be a little shorter than usual, but I believe that it'll be fruitful in, in, in whatever way. And, and if, if you notice that as we've been reading, I hope I'm changing the way you look at the, the Bible. That's that's the whole goal. I hope I'm changing the way that you're reading it to look at it for what it actually says and not what somebody told you it says and not to look at it just from a religious lens, but to look at it for what it is. And when you read it and you read it within the context of the grander story, you're beginning to see how liberating, how free and how much this message points to a grand plan, a grand narrative that God has for you, that God has for his people. And, and maybe it'll change as well. And that's my prayer for you, that it'll change how you even see God. Um, and so I, 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 that's, my, that's my prayer for you. So we're going to pray and then we're going to engage uh, with God in the reading of his word. Father, I ask in this moment, Lord, as we engage in your word, Father, I pray for each and every person who's attending with us right now, there are people from all over the world. 
who are on in this moment right now, attending and and opening their scriptures to read along with us. And Father, I just ask right now that you would uh, speak to us or that you would uh, reveal to us your grace, reveal to us your will, reveal to us your heart, reveal to us your desire for us. Father, I pray that you would move uh, through us, Lord God, in this time, that you would reveal to us the truth of your message and your gospel. And I ask that in your name we pray. Amen. And amen. Uh, Leviticus chapter 8, I will read for probably, maybe I'll read three chapters. Um, We'll see if I can get that in 20 minutes. And then afterwards, I'm going to spend some time just reflecting um, on the scripture and ranting. We'll see where it goes. Speak to us, Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take Aaron and his sons with him and the garments, the anointing oil, a bull as the sin offering, two rams and a basket of unleavened bread and gather all the congregation together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him and the congregation was gathered there together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, this is what the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And he put the tunic on him, girded him with the sash, clothed him with the robe and put an ephod on him. And he girded him with the intricately woven band of the ephod and with it tied the ephod on him. Then he put the breastplate on him and he put the urim and the thummim on the breastplate. And he put the turban on his head and also on uh, and also on the turban on its front. He put the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Also, Moses took the anointing oil and the anointed and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated him them. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times, anointed the altar and all its utensils and the laver and its base to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Then Moses brought Aaron's sons and put tunics on them girded them with sashes and put hats on them as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he brought the bull for the sin offering. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull for the sin offering and Moses killed it. Then he took the blood and put some on the horns of the altar around with its finger and purified the altar. He poured the blood at at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. He took all the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver and the two kidneys of the fat of their fat with their fat and the Moses and Moses burned them on the altar. But the bull, it's hide, it's flesh and it's awful. He burned with fire outside the camp as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he brought the ram as the burnt offering and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram and Moses killed it. Then he sprinkled the blood Uh, all around the altar and he cut the ram into pieces and Moses burned the head, the pieces and the fat. Then he washed the entrails and the legs with water and Moses burned the whole ram on the altar. It was a burnt sacrifice for a sweet aroma an offering made by fire to the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he brought the second ram, the ram of consecration. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram and Moses killed it. Then he took some of the blood and put it on the tip of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Then he brought Aaron's sons, and Moses put some of the blood on the tips of their right ears, and on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. And Moses sprinkled the blood around the altar. Then he took the fat and the fat tail, all the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and their fat, and the right thigh. And from the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened cake, a cake of bread anointed with oil and one wafer and put them on the fat and on the right thigh. And he put all these in Aaron's hands and in his son's hands and waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar, on the burnt offering. There were consecration offerings for sweet aroma. That was an offering made by fire to the Lord. And Moses took the breast and waved it as a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses' part of the ram of consecration. And the Lord 
as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood which was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron, on his garments, on his sons, and on the garments of his sons with him. And he consecrated Aaron, his garments, his sons, and the garments of his sons with him. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and eat it there with the bread that is in the basket of the consecration offerings, as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat. What remains of the flesh and of the bread you shall burn with fire. You shall not go outside the door of the tabernacle of meeting for seven days until the days of your consecration are ended. For seven days he shall consecrate you. As he has done this day, so the Lord commanded to do to make atonement for you. Therefore, you shall stay at the door of the tabernacle of meeting day and night for seven days and keep the charge of the Lord so that you may not die. For so I have been commanded. So Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. Leviticus 9. It came to pass on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and elders of Israel. And he said to Aaron, take for yourself a young bull as a sin offering and a ram as a burnt offering without blemish and offer them before the Lord. And to the children of Israel, you shall speak saying, take a kid of the goats as a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering. Also a bull and a ram as a peace offering to sacrifice before the Lord and a grain offering mixed with oil for today, the Lord will appear to you. So they brought what Moses commanded before the tabernacle of meeting and all the tabernacle drew near and stood before the Lord. Then Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord commanded you to do and the glory of the Lord will appear to you. And Moses said to Aaron, go to the altar, offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people. Offer the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord commanded. Aaron, therefore, went to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. Then Aaron, then the son of Aaron, then the sons of Aaron brought the blood to him and he dipped his finger in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar and poured the blood at the base of the altar. But the fat, the kidneys and the fatty lobe from the liver of the sin offering he burnt on the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. The flesh and the hide he burned with fire outside the camp, and he killed the burnt offering. And Aaron's sons presented him the blood, which he sprinkled all around on the altar. Then they had presented the burnt offering to him with its pieces and head, and he burned them on the altar. And he washed the entrails and the legs, and he burned them with burnt offering on the altar. Then he brought the people's offering. He took the goat, which was a sin offering for the people, and killed it and offered it for sin like the first one. And he brought the burnt offering and offered it according to the prescribed manner. He brought the grain offering, took a handful of it, and burned it on the altar beside the burnt offering of the morning. He also killed the bull and the ram as sacrifices of peace offerings, which were for the people. And Aaron's sons presented to him the blood, which he sprinkled all around on the altar, and fat from the bull and the ram, the fatty tail that covers the entrails and the kidneys, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver, and they put the fat on the breasts. Then he burned the fat on the altar, but the breasts and the right thigh Aaron waved as a wave offering before the Lord, and as Moses commanded. Then Aaron lifted his head toward the people, blessed them, and came down with offering came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. <laughs> and fire came out from above the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. And when the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Then Nabab uh, Leviticus chapter 10. Then Nabab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. 
And Moses and Aaron, and Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord says. Sorry. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke saying. By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. Then Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them by their tunics out of the camp. And Moses said, as Moses said, and Moses said to Aaron and to Eliezer and to Ithamar, his sons, Do not uncover your heads, nor tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the people. Let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled. You shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. Man, there's just so much there. Then the Lord spoke to to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink. You nor your sons with you, when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, that you may distinguish between holy and unholy, between clean and unclean. And that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. And Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eliezer and Ithamar, his sons who who were left. Take the grain offering that remains of the offerings made by fire to the Lord, and eat it without leaven besides, beside the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place, because it is your due and your son's due of the sacrifices made by fire to the Lord, for so I have commanded. The breast of the wave offering, of the thigh and of the heave offering, you shall eat in a clean place, you, your sons, and your daughters with you, for they are your due and your son's due which are given from the sacrifices of peace offerings of the children of Israel. The thigh of the heave offering and the breast of the wave offering, they shall bring with the offerings of fat made by fire to offer as a wave offering before the Lord. And it shall be yours and your sons with you by statute forever, as the Lord has commanded. Then Moses made careful inquiry about the goat of the sin offering. And there it was burnt up and he was angry with Eliezer and Ithamar, the sons of Aaron, who left, saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in a holy place, since it is most holy, and God has given it to you to bear the guilt of the congregation, to make atonement for them before the Lord? See, its blood was not brought inside the holy place. Indeed, you should have eaten it in a holy place as commanded. And Aaron said to Moses, Look, this day they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord and such things have befallen me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would it have been accepted in the sight of the Lord? So when Moses heard that he was content. Oh, there's so much here. There's so much here. Um, You know what? I'm going to slide this last chapter in. I know we don't have a lot of time today, but I want to slide it in. So let's read it. And then we're going to do some just a little bit of time of reflection. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, speak to the children of Israel, saying, these are the animals which you may eat among the animals that are on the earth. Among the animals which divides the hoof, having cloven hooves and chewing the cud that you may eat. Nevertheless, these you shall not eat among those that chew the cud or those that have cloven hooves. The camel, because it chews the cud, but does not have cloven hooves. It is unclean to you. The rock hyrax, because it chews the cud, but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. The hare, because it chews the cud, but it does not have cloven hooves, it is unclean to you. And the swine, though it divides the hooves, having cloven hooves, yet it does not chew the cud. It is unclean to you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. They are unclean to you. Those you may eat of all that are in the water, whether in 
whether in the water as fins and scales or whether in the seas or rivers that you may eat <clears throat> all but all in the seas or in the rivers that do not have fins or scales all that move in the water any living thing which is in the water they are an abomination to you they shall be an abomination to you you shall not eat their flesh but you shall regard their carcasses as an abomination whatever in the water does not have fins or scales that shall be an abomination to you and these you shall regard as an abomination among the birds they shall not be eaten they are an abomination the eagle the vulture the buzzard the kite and the falcon after its kind every raven after its kind the ostrich the short-eared owl the seagull and the hawk after its kind, the little owl, the fisher owl, and the screech owl, the white owl, the jackdaw, the carrion vulture, the stork, the heron after its kind, the, the hoopoe, and the bat. All flying insects that creep on all fours shall be an abomination to you. Yet these may eat of every flying insect that creeps on all fours. Those have jointed legs above their feet with which to leap on the earth. These you may eat, the locust after its kind, the destroying locust after its kind, the cricket after its kind, and the grasshopper after its kind. But all the other flying insects which have four feet shall be an abomination to you. By these you shall become unclean. Whoever touches the carcass of any of them shall be unclean until evening. Whoever carries the part of the carcass of any of them shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. The carcass of any animal which divides the foot, but is not cloven hooved or does not ha does not chew the cud is unclean to you. Everyone who touches it shall be unclean. And whatever goes on its paws among all kinds of animals that go on all fours, those are unclean to you. Whoever touches any such carcass shall be unclean until evening. Whoever carries any such carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. It is unclean to you. These also shall be unclean to you among the creeping things that creep on the earth, the mole, the mouse, and the large lizard after its kind, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the sand reptile, the sand lizard, the chameleon. These are unclean to you among all that creep. Whoever touches them when they are dead shall be unclean until evening. Anything on which any of them falls, which are dead, shall be unclean. Whether it is any item of wood or clothing or skin or sack, whatever item it is in which any work is done, it must be put in water. And it shall be unclean until evening. Then it shall be clean. Any earthen vessel into which any of them falls, you shall break. Whatever is in it shall be unclean. In such a vessel, any edible food upon which the water falls upon becomes unclean, and any drink that may be drunk from it becomes unclean, and everything on which a part of any such carcass falls shall be unclean. Whether it is an oven or a cooking stove, it may be broken down, for they are unclean, and shall be unclean to you. Nevertheless, a spring or cistern in which there is plenty of water shall be clean whatever touches any such carcass becomes unclean. And if any part of that carcass falls on any planting seed, which is sown, it remains clean. But if the water is put on the seed and if part of any such carcass falls on it, it becomes unclean to you. And if any animal which you may eat dies, he who touches it, he who touches its carcass shall be unclean until evening. He who eats of its carcass shall wash its, his clothes and be unclean until evening. He also who carries its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. And every creeping thing that creeps on the earth shall be an abomination. It shall not be eaten. Whoever crawls, whatever crawls on its belly, whatever goes on all fours, or whatever has many feet among all creeping things that creep on the earth, these you shall not eat, for they are an abomination." You shall not make for yourselves abominate, abominable with any creeping thing that creeps. Nor shall you make yourselves unclean with them, lest you, defile, lest you be defiled by them. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves to be holy. 
and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall be holy, for I am holy. This is the law of the animals and the birds and every living creature that moves in the water and of every creature that creeps on the earth to distinguish between the unclean and the clean, between the animal that may be eaten and the animal that may not be eaten. Hmm. Speak to us today, Lord, as we engage in your word. Speak to us. Um, I'm I'm gonna sound like a broken record for some of you, but for those of you who have who've missed um any of the readings that we've done in the read and rant, what you understand is that we're speaking into the importance of the reading of the scripture, and the importance of reading the scripture in its totality. Can't emphasize how important it is for us to read the Bible in its totality. Because if we read the Bible, but we read it in in a piecemeal legalistic format, we're going to lose the message of Jesus Christ. We're going to lose the message that God has, and we're going to lose the insight that God wanted to provide to us through his word about the redemptive salvific work that he's done in our lives. It is critical that we read the scriptures in its totality or we lose it. That's the first thing. The second thing that is incredibly critical when we read the word is we cannot read the word within our own cultural context. What do I mean? What do I mean by that? Often when we read the word, we read the Bible through our lens. And because we read the Bible through our lens, we miss and we lose what the scripture is actually saying and what is God actually revealing. When we read it through our context, we will read it and misinterpret what God is saying in his scripture. This is critical, family, and this is important because there are things that we read in the scriptures that we understand in a certain way that the person who wrote this to the people that that person wrote it to would understand it in an entirely different way. Remember, I was explaining to you how Genesis is a misread book. I explained to you how Revelations is a misread book because we're inserting our own interpretation on a text that's very clear about what it's what it's attempting to do. Um, the, the scriptures are much simpler. We com- We complicate the scripture. We complicate the word of God. Scriptures in and of themselves are very, very straightforward. They're very straightforward and they're very clear. If we choose to read it appropriately, when we read scripture, and this is just, I know this isn't a Bible study because I really want to just engage in the word that the Lord has for today. And I don't want this to be a full Bible study sort of teaching and maybe eventually I'm going to commit to time to do the study of the word as well. This is a meditational reading of the word, but I have to make sure I emphasize this because there are many who will read the Torah, many who will read the Pentateuch, the Tanakh, who will read the Old Testament, particularly speaking, these first five books in the Old Testament, who will read it with a, what I would call a broken hermeneutic. What I mean by that is, is you're reading it through a lens by which you shouldn't have been reading it in the first place. Rule number one, when we read scripture, we should never read scripture initially as if it is written to us. We read scripture as it is written for us. If you want to, you can take notes, whatever. Um, I don't want to go full Bible study, but this is very, very important. We must read the scripture as it is written for all of us. But the scripture was not written to all of us. Okay. Why is that important? It's important because if we read it as if it's written to us, we will fall into confusion about what God is actually saying. 
but rather when we read it as if it's written for us, then we can now parse through who God is writing or who God is revealing this to, to know what the implications of what God is revealing in who he's writing it to, and to now know how it applies to us today. This is important. We get lost in the sauce. And often the reason why the scriptures are full of people who misinterpret it, or the church, the church is full of people who misinterpret the scripture is because they are reading the scripture as if it is written to us. No, it is written for us. For example, uh, 1 Corinthians. I'll, I'll just use one quick example. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians was not a letter written to us. It was a letter that was written to the church in Corinth. When we understand the context now, first, we need to know who wrote it. If we know that Paul wrote it, and if Paul wrote it, and he's writing it to the church in Corinth, now we can understand how the information is being transmitted from Paul to the church in Corinth and to know the implications of that, to then know how that applies to us. Does that make sense? So it's important because a lot gets lost in the church because of the misinterpretation of scripture. And I know it may have really thrown some people off yesterday as I, or the day before or the reading rant before as I was explaining it, but I wanted people to understand that the Pentateuch was not written to you. Okay? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, these books were not written to you. Soak on that for a minute. Sit on that for a minute. So the Ten Commandments is going to get real weird for, for some people because you've been so used to it, you have made it gospel. The Ten Commandments were not written to you. The law was not written to you. The law was written to the children of Israel. Okay. The law was not written to you. It was written to the children of Israel. Why would the children of Israel receive the law? The children of Israel received the law because of a covenant that they made with God. They made a covenant with God when they had left captivity, remember that God was reinstituting his righteousness and justice on the, uh, to the whole world, but that God does not do anything on this earth unless, unless he delegates it through mankind. The people that were chosen to delegate the, uh, and to usher in the kingdom of God on earth were the children of Israel. The children of Israel were chosen by God through Abraham and the promise that he made through Abraham. Abraham, by covenant, had Isaac. From Isaac to Jacob, Jacob became Israel after he overcame his conflict with God, his wrestling with God. Jacob became Israel. Israel had his sons. His sons um, in famine went to Egypt. They spent more time than they should have. They should have spent in Egypt, spent centuries in Egypt, became a nation of people in Egypt. And now they've left Egypt to return back to the promised land, back to the land that was promised to them. And so now in between their captivity and reaching the promised land is their time in the wilderness. And this is where God now is reinstituting his covenant with these people. Notice the covenant was not made with the whole world. The covenant was made with the children of Israel. Let's not lose this. Okay. Remember I'm walking you through this because I know there's some people that need to be deprogrammed. <laughs> you need to be deprogrammed in how you read your scripture because up to this point, we're reading the whole story and the whole narrative this law that was written was not written to you. It was written subsequent to the covenant that God made with the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. So the Ten Commandments was not written to you. Yet a lot of Christians read the Ten Commandments as if it is a set of book uh, of rules for Christianity. Or they'll read the rest of the Mosaic Law in the Pentateuch and they'll read it as if it is um, that these are the rules that Christians must follow in order to be Christians. Wrong again. 
the, 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 the law and the Pentateuch, this law that we're reading, all the stuff that we're reading right now was not written to us. Okay. It was written to the children of Israel to set them apart. Why? Because God called them as a chosen people to be separate from the rest of the world and to show the world what the kingdom of God looks like. They were called to be the ambassadors of God on earth. He says in the scripture, remember, I'm just walking through everything we've read so far. He says to them in the scripture that they were called to be a nation of priests. Priests are simply mediators who mediate between man and God, meaning they were the ambassadors. They would be the representatives of God on earth. And that, and so what the law was intended to do was to distinguish them from everyone else on earth. Okay. They were to distinguish them from everyone else on earth. Are y'all listening? So therefore the law that we are reading here is not written to us, but written to the children of Israel to be the chosen people of God on earth that would represent the kingdom of God on earth. Now, what did the kingdom of God look like? It looks like the law. Okay. It looks like what we see here. Okay. It looks like what we see here now. Um, no, babe, stay, stay. It's okay. Um, it's okay, babe. Um, and so, and so now as a result of this, Make sure we're clear here. I'm only going to tell you what's in the scripture. I'm only going to tell you what the Bible is saying to us. It is written to the children of Israel. The children of Israel are literally the children of Israel. And the law was being instituted so that they would be the nation of priests. Now, notice that this nation of priests that are being called are the spiritual representatives of God in the physical. This nation of priests, this power that they have is not the power that we think about. It is not economic power. It is not political power. It's actually a ruling through suffering. It's a ruling through distinctness. It's a ruling that sets them apart from the rest of the world. That when people see the children of Israel, they would see the kingdom of God. Everything we're reading up to this point is revealing to us how these children who have been chosen by God continually fail to fulfill the law that they, that they made agreement with God about. They continue to fail in fulfilling the law that they agreed for. Understand this. We just read it a few times um, in, 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 in Leviticus chapter 11. And stay with me because this is really important for him. He says, for I am the Lord your God. You shall consecrate yourself and you shall be holy. Why? For I am holy. Then he says to him, you therefore be holy for I am holy. Holiness, again, is not perfection. Holiness is to be separate, to be distinct, to be different, to be peculiar, to be fundamentally other than anything else. And he's calling them to distinctness and the law that he's giving them was intended to shape them out, shape them into becoming this unique, distinct community set apart, a distinct people set apart. What they were called to be was to be the image of God. And yet what we learn in the text and what we're going to be learning through the entire story as we read through it is they fail in doing that continuously. The law could not fulfill what God wanted to fulfill through them. We see this over and over and over again that God is continually instituting contingencies and we see it all throughout as we've been reading all throughout Exodus all throughout Leviticus he's continually giving them 
contingencies. Okay, stay with me now. Stay with me. When we read these food laws, some people are reading these food laws and they're saying, wait a second, hold on. Look at all these things I should be eating or shouldn't. I was looking at these food laws and I'm like, yo, there's some stuff here I would, I would never eat. I just wouldn't eat it. But it did not apply to the rest of the world. It applied to the children of Israel. Okay. It did not apply to the rest of the world. It applied to the children of Israel for what? Not for righteousness, but for holiness. There's a difference. Not for righteousness, but for holiness. To be set apart, to be different than everyone else. They were to be the images of God. They were to actually be Jesus. That's what they were to be, is to be Jesus. God is holy. Stay with me now. Stay with me. Yes, we could talk about the, the, the influences of the law. Yeah, and, 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 and there, there were some pra practical implications of the law, but I don't want to get into that yet. I want people to understand that what's, what, what God prioritized with the children of Israel is, is God was prioritizing his holiness. He said, be holy for I am holy. Stay with me. He's saying, for you to be in my presence, you have to become holy. Listen carefully. For you to be in my presence, you have to become holy. Holy. But to become holy, you need to be like me. And yet they could not do it. They continually failed to do it. Continually failed to do it. Stay with me here. The whole purpose for which God is asking them to fulfill these laws was for holiness and yet they could not do it over and over again they failed they failed daily they failed monthly they failed hourly in fulfilling the holiness and so what did god do as a contingency in his law he establishes the contingency plan in his law he institutes the sacrificial laws the sacrifice of goats, the sacrifice, sorry, the sacrifice of rams, the sacrifice of turtle doves, these sacrifices, these sin sacrifices, rams and goats were intended to be the payment, what we call the atonement. That's the scripture there. The atonement to enter into the presence of God. And to be holy, meaning if God's going to be present with you, then you must be holy. And yet to be holy, you must follow these laws. But you can't follow these laws. So God institutes an economy of blood. That through the blood sacrifice, these people cannot be representatives of God. Through the blood sacrifice, these people now can enter into the presence of God. So God was not playing around with his holiness. He was not playing around with his holiness. So much so that remember, I'm giving you, I'm giving you, I'm giving you an overview here. I want you to understand where we're at. Okay. I want, I want you to understand where we're at. To be holy, a sacrifice must be given to God. How can you give a sacrifice to God when you can't even come in the presence of God and you are not holy? Well, God's contingency is a priest. He calls a priest who he imputes his holiness upon him and his righteousness upon him to now be the mediator who can take the sacrifice that you have and to bring it to God. So now the priest goes in, brings your sacrifice, makes atonement for your sins, and then your sins are disappeared. They're forgiven, gone. That's it. And now you are now holy, <laughs> separate. The priest then 
needs to be chosen. And God chooses a nation of priests who will stand as mediators, a tribe of priests, a family of priests who would stand as mediators for the nation of priests. So a tribe of priests, a family of priests for the nation of priests of which the head of those priests is the, is the high priest, the high priest being Aaron. We see that this section opens up where Aaron is being dressed and clothed with these garments. He's being clothed with these garments with colors that we are unfamiliar, that with colors that are not common, right? The purple, the blue, the scarlet, gold, threads. These, these things are not common colors. He, he, he clothes him so that he is distinct because this is the one quality of being a priest is to be distinct. Distinct again. What is that? Holy. He clothes him. And upon clothing him by bringing his goat offering, God gives him the grace now to be the representative. But he cannot play with the presence of God. I've got about 10 minutes. I want to see you guys tomorrow because uh, I got about about five to 10 minutes. Um, And I want to see you guys tomorrow because I'm going to really you're going to see me breaking this down. You're going to see this breaking down in the next few chapters. Um, what I'm giving you is an is an overview. But as we read through Leviticus, you're going to see this broken down. The priest goes into the presence of God on behalf of the people to atone for their sins and their sacrifices. Blood is the payment. The priest is the person who does it for them. Mediator, sacrifice. Priest, sacrifice. Y'all caught it. Priest, sacrifice sacrifice. Don't miss this. Priest, sacrifice. Priest, sacrifice. Priest, sacrifice. Every time they sin, they go to the priest. The priest um, pays a sacrifice, atones it for them. Sin has disappeared. These are people who continually fail over and over and over again. But God's plan for them to be in his presence is the blood sacrifice. And this priest who's been set apart, set apart, from the people who are set apart in order to set them apart by the sacrifice of blood. Stay with me now. After the priest has his sins atoned for, he now can mediate for the people. Okay. So, notice though, in Leviticus chapter 10, and this is where I want to get to and then I got to go. The priests were called to mediate, set apart to mediate, chosen by God to mediate. God, by his grace, is again showing us the economy of his blood, that the sacrifice is the payment. And these men were chosen to mediate. Pay very close attention. They're the ones who were given permission to enter into the the presence of God, the manifest presence of God. This is what we're reading here. I'm not giving you anything that we're not reading. God is revealing something here. They enter into the presence of God. But even when they enter into the presence of God, the priests have parameters that they had to follow in the presence. Nabib and Abihu who were Aaron's sons chose not to follow those parameters. Stay with me here, family, because this is going to help somebody today because they did not follow the parameters. The very presence of God devoured them. They died in the presence of God because they did not fulfill the parameters that God had established in order for them to be in his presence. Did you hear that? And so now it says in the verse, first verse that, that they put incense on it and they offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. They grossly infringed on his rules. They grossly broke his rules These people who are meant to be the representatives of the people 
So much is given, much is required. And yet they entered in and they gave not holy fire, but profane fire. I don't have enough time to break this down. Profane fire is just normal fire. <laughs> profane fire is just their fire. We think of profanity. You think of profanity. Um, the word profane, you know, oh, he's speaking profanity is saying bad things. Actually, what profanity is, is anything outside of the temple. The word profane is actually rooted in the word that which is outside of the temple. Did you hear that? Profane fire. They gave fire that came from outside the temple. Oh, family, stay with me. Stay with me. So at what is profane is not what people have defined. Oh, my gosh. He's speaking profanity. Matter of fact, anything that is done outside the temple is profane. Do not equate profane with vulgar. Okay. Do not equate the two. What is profane is not what is vulgar. What is profane is simply what is from outside of the temple. And they brought profane fire. The other word that would be used here is strange fire, meaning they brought normality to holiness. They brought this fire and they walked in with the fire that was not God's, but theirs. Stay with me. And in the moment that they brought their fire and not God's fire, the presence of God devoured them. Two things to get from this. The presence of God can be freedom for one and it can be death for another. Let me say that one more time. The presence of God can be freedom for one and death for another. The presence of God can be healing for one and pain for another. The presence of God can be can be good for one and bad for another. Do not assume that the presence of God leads to all that is good and rich. Yes, it does. But don't think it's exclusive to that. That the presence of God comes with it as well. Judgment and death. That the presence of God. I want to make sure you all understand that. That when you come to the presence of God, you cannot come with your fire. And that's the problem that a lot of us have is we're trying to come to God with our own agendas. We're trying to come to God with our own fire. We're trying to come to God with our own doctrine. We're trying to come to God with our own understanding. And what we do not realize is that very thing we're coming to God with is the very thing that's leading us to destruction. The presence of God can be a blessing for one and a curse for another. And there are people right now who have their own agendas, who want to do their own thing and want to bring their own fire and their own ideology and their own doctrine and their own politics and their own philosophies and the own thing that they want to do. And what they do not realize is they're coming to the presence of God with profane fire. That's why the scriptures say man does what is right in his own eyes and in the end it leads to destruction. And there are some people that are coming with their own ideologies, their own doctrine, something that somebody taught them, somebody that somebody told them, somebody that somebody, something that somebody instructed them. I don't know where I'm going with this. I, I feel the spirit of God just leading me here. So I'm just going to go where the Lord is leading because it's very important that for some of us, we're trying to impose our fire on God's fire. We're trying to impose our glory on God's glory. We're trying to impose our thinking on God. And yet the scriptures tell us that his ways are above our ways and his thoughts are above our thoughts. Nabib and Abihu, their sin against God was egregious because they came into the presence of God and disrespected it with their own fire. When it says they offered profane fire, people think they did all these weird demonic things. No, profane, and that, that may be true, but, but profane literally means to not be from the temple. It means to be strange, to come from something other than God. And for many of us, we bring strange and we try to bring strange things into the body of Christ. We try to bring strange stuff into his presence. I want to make sure I, 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 I debunk this one thing and I know I got to go. I got to go, Jesus.
Moses and Aaron, let me say this before, in verse three, Moses and Aaron, uh, uh, Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke saying. Aaron wanted to go and run and get them. And he was like, nah, we can't go and get them. But this is what he said. He said, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. Verse three, that's verse three right there. But those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. Notice their sin was not even directly the breaking of the rules. Their sin was in how they regarded the presence of God. Sorry if I get passionate here. I'm sorry if I, if I get a little lit, but if there's anything that upsets God is the disrespect of his holiness and his glory. Their sin was actually not breaking God's rules. Their sin was thinking that they were gods above him and coming with their own glory and trying to enter into the presence of God with their own glory. That was their sin. There are people who teach the scripture and they teach it wrong. They say, well, th that God devoured them with his fire because they broke God's rules. Wrong. <laughs> they did not get devoured because they broke God's rules. You say, I don't know, pastor. I'm not sure about that. You want proof? Here's proof. Go later on in that chapter. Later on in the chapter, um, Moses speaks to Aaron concerning Eleazar and Ithamar. In the same chapter, the sons that were left, they had rules to come into the presence of God. They came into the presence of God and they broke the rules. They messed up. Moses was upset that they messed up and yet the fire did not devour them. They broke God's rules and yet they were not devoured by the fire. This was never about the rules. This was never about the rules. Please stay with me, family. Don't let anybody teach that to you. Don't let anybody tell you that it's because the, the priest went and broke the law and in breaking the law, the fire of God consumed them. No, because the, 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 the other two sons of the tribes of, of Levi, Eliates and Ithamar, broke the, God's rules in that same chapter. They broke God's rules and yet the fire did not consume them. The fire did not consume them because they broke God's rules. The fire consumed them because they came with their fire. They did not regard the presence of God as holy. And that's why the Lord said, he said, those who come near me must be regarded as holy. I must be sorry for those who come near me. I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. We're here trying to, we're, we're trying to follow rules and not realizing that even in following them, God is not pleased. Do we acknowledge his holiness in our lives? Do we give glory to God or are we giving glory to ourselves? Do we give glory to God or are we seeking to gain power over others? Do we give glory to God or are we acknowledging him as holy in our lives? Are we acknowledging him as that which is above all things? Is he El Elyon? Is he Yahweh? Is he the possessor of the heavens and the earth? Is he above all things? Are his ways above all ways? Are his thoughts above all thoughts? Who are we that he would be mindful of us and yet we come into God's presence with the disrespect to think that we can tell God what God ought to be? They were not consumed because they broke the rules. They were consumed because they came with strange fire. You know, there's some people right now. I was, I know I can't, there's so much going on in the chat and I'm kind of just focused on the chat. I'm focused on what I, what I need to get out and what the Lord is revealing to me. But there's some people even right now who got strange fire right here in the chat, right here. You got strange fire. You got strange fire. You're coming with your own glory into the presence of God. 
You're coming to prostrate your own glory in the presence of God. You're coming to push your own agenda in the presence of God. There are people here right now who are trying to push their agenda. We come against that in the name of Jesus. Coming with their own power. What they want is they want to push their power on other people. What they want is to prostrate their power on other people. What they want is to come with a strange demonic agenda. And yet what they do not know is that if you are a Hebrew Israelite and you are a chosen person of God, you were called to sacrifice your life, not to push power and prostrate your politics and prostrate your ideology on other people. It doesn't make you better than others. Rather, if you were the chosen people of God, it calls you to live a life of distinct submission to others. If you were the chosen people of God, how did the one chosen, the first fruit of all creation, how did the first fruit of all creation exercise his rule and his authority? He did it on a cross. How did he overcome the world? He did it through dying and sacrificing and shedding his blood. And there's some people right now who are buying into the lie of the enemy. There's some people right now who are buying into things that people are saying. And you, and because again, there are people who are, who, who have, who have fed you lies because you've been going through pain and you've been going through brokenness and because you see injustice in the world. And this is not to, to, to give injustice permission, but there are people who see injustice in the world and they see all the things that are going on. They see what has happened with racism. They see what has happened in our country. They see what's happened in the world. And, and so somebody came in and fed you lies in the midst of your pain and told you that you were better than everybody else. And yet God's plan for us was not to make one better than another but to reconcile all men to himself. Do not follow the lie of the enemy that wants you to be stuck in your place because the reality is, is you are falling into the rules of the enemy because you let the enemy give you strange fire and you cannot come into the presence of God with strange fire. God wants to restore you. He wants to restore your identity. He wants you to usher in the kingdom of God. He wants you to represent the kingdom of God. And it won't be done through hate. It won't be done through, through angst. It won't be done through anger. It will be done by the love and the grace of God on earth being manifest. My heart hurts. I know I got to go. I'm, I'm over time. Um, my heart hurts. My heart hurts for those who are hurt by all the things that have happened in this country and have let people lie to them and tell them that you are the chosen people of God. And so what they do is they chain you up and they make you angry. They put you in a box and they brew up hate and anger in you. And yet it doesn't change your status. I proclaim healing over your life right now in the name of Jesus. And yes, his name is Yahashua. I proclaim healing in your life in the name of Yahashua. I proclaim that right now in the name of Jesus. Because if you read through this Bible, and I want to encourage you because there's somebody right now who's hearing this and I know there's some anger and there's some brokenness and there's some pain and there's a reason for all of it. And yes, it's founded. You should be hurt. You should be in pain. There should be, those things should have happened because those things were not right. But the one thing we're not going to let is the enemy come and take your soul. I want you to journey with me through the scripture. And if you would just listen to what the Bible says, not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do what those people who've lied to you do, where they keep bouncing around from verse to verse, jumping from verse to verse, you know, taking that verse and that verse and that verse to push their agenda on you. No, I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do is, is I'm just going to read the whole thing with you. And I'm going to ask you, do you see it? I want to read the whole thing with you. I want to journey through the scriptures with you. I just want to do that with you. So that you read the whole thing and then you're going to begin to know, you're going to begin to see what the story of God really looks like and how we can all be restored in him. 
God's not done yet. And yes, he's coming to execute justice. And yes, God's judgment will come. And yes, he will. He will execute it. But vengeance is his. We're called to be his ushers, his, his representatives on earth, to usher in the kingdom of God. The way the kingdom of God comes, we'll learn through his word. Spend time there. Back off from all the stuff that people are trying to feed you with. Just read his word. Real talk. Just read his word. Stop letting people feed you with stuff. Just read his word. Just read it. And when you begin to read it, you're going to begin to see. And I tell you, brother, right now, and I tell you, sister, right now, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Because I'm telling you right now that God wants to bring joy back in your life. He wants to restore you. There's so much anger and so much hate that, that, that we allowed the enemy to brew up in us. It's taking years from your life. It's bringing your blood pressure up. It's taking your joy. It's ruining you. And what God wants to do is he wants to restore you and he wants you to bring restoration to the world. God can use you to transform the world. No, I'm not talking about white Jesus. I'm not talking about a white Christian. I'm not even talking about Christianity. I'm talking about his scripture. I'm talking about the word. And I just want you to journey through that. Don't believe what they told you. I don't know. I'm just going to be led by the spirit because I know I know I'm way over time. Um, I'm going to be late for my class, but I just feel the Lord is really pulling me into this right now. And, I, and, I, and I'm going to continue to pull into this is is don't let them lie to you and tell you that we serve a white Jesus. We don't. We don't believe in a white Jesus. No, not here. We don't believe in that. We don't believe in that. We don't believe in what we believe in is we believe in Yahashua. And we're learning about who Yahashua is. As we read through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, as we journey through the prophets, as we journey all the way to the gospels, and as we read the life of Yahashua, and as we read through the story of the church, that's when we're going to begin to know who he is. And then we're going to know who the chosen people of God are. So I pray for you right now, and I hope you'll come and just journey because the Lord wants to set you free. The Lord wants to set you free. He wants to give you your joy back. He wants to give you your peace back. He wants you to give, he wants you to have hope again. Holy Spirit, have your way. Holy Spirit, speak to them right now. Speak to them right now. I command right now every spirit of doubt, every spirit of anger and hate. I command it right now to be loosed in the name of Jesus. We come against every spirit of bondage, every spirit of hate. We come against that right now in the name of Jesus. We come against the Absalom spirit right now that wants to consume the mind and the heart of those who've been offended and broken. We come against that right now in the name of Jesus. We proclaim liberty right now in the name of Jesus. To God be the glory. All the glory belongs to Yahashua. Father, we thank you today as we engage in your word. I just pray right now that you would continue to move. Speak to us. Speak through us, Father. As we engage in your word, Father, I pray. Lord, as we navigate through this day, Father, I pray that we would put our strange fire away. I pray that we would put our strange fire away that we would enter into your presence with the purity of knowing that the fire that we need is already in your presence. Guide us and lead us, Father, into your way. Teach us your way. Let it not be taught by somebody who tells it to us, but Lord, we pray that we would have a visitation and an encounter with you to know you. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen.